It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Friday the 13th edition. Getting ready to leave my house. It's easy for me to say, come get me Friday the 13th, as long as I'm in my house. Come get me Friday the 13th. Bastard. Not as confident about that as I am in the morning. Because I am leaving. Who knows? Who knows what Friday the 13th has waiting for me? If this is the last show, that's, that's, I guess let's make it a good one. Still waiting for a development in the Ezekiel Elliott case. And I know that we're taping this. It's 4 o'clock Eastern as I speak on Friday. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm surprised there hasn't been anything yet that's happened today. Because there's a disagreement between the NFL and Ezekiel Elliott's camp on what happens next now that the NFL has prevailed in front of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. The Texas case filed by Elliott will be dismissed. Elliott, according to the NFL, is immediately suspended. Elliot's position is he's got 14 days to decide whether or not he is going to seek further relief, file a petition for rehearing. During that 14 days, his belief is he should not be suspended. And then after, if he does file the petition for rehearing, 14 days within that window, counting from yesterday the 12th, so it would give him until the 26th, If he files it, then he shouldn't be suspended until it's resolved. And if he files a petition, it could be quickly denied that there won't be a rehearing or you get a rehearing and it takes even longer. Either way, I have a feeling this is going to hang around a little bit more. And I believe there is optimism within the Elliott camp that he will play the entire year. And I can't help but wonder in hindsight whether... It just would have made sense to take the six games to start the season. Think about it. You take the six games. The Cowboys wouldn't be much worse than two and three if they hadn't had Elliott for the first five games. Not that we, they would have known that. For all we know, they would have been six and zero oh without or with him if he had decided to take his medicine and not fight it. But you know, you get a stick up your butt, chip on your shoulder, whatever the proper cliche may be. And then you come back raring to go. Elliot just has seemed at times distracted and not the guy he was last year. And I can't help but wonder whether or not some of this stress of the unresolved suspension is still hanging over. So we'll see where this goes. I'm expecting something to happen. And my current guess, somewhat educated guess, is that Elliott will play week seven against the 49ers, and who knows what happens after that. Week six, the Cowboys don't play. They are one of the teams on a bye. Plenty of other teams do play, and let's consider some of those games on this Friday edition of the PFTPM podcast. The game of the day probably is Chiefs-Steelers. I'd say 
I'd say that's the best game of the day. There are others, but let's start with Chiefs Steelers. Rematch of the playoff game from last January when the Steelers went into Arrowhead Stadium and beat the Chiefs, who were the number two seed. Chiefs have a hard time winning at home in the postseason. I think they may have a hard time beating a Steelers team that is motivated in large part by its own failures. I always like that when a team doesn't perform well, a team admits it hasn't performed well, people in the media assume that past performances may lead to future results, and the team gets mad when we say that. How dare we point out the fact that the the team has struggled, but the Steelers have struggled. They swept the Chiefs last year, 18 to 16 in the playoffs in Kansas City, 43 to 14 in Pittsburgh in the regular season. The Steelers have beaten the Chiefs five out of six times. And the Chiefs have lost the Steelers at home last year's playoffs. And then 2011 was the last time the Steelers beat them there. 2015, the Chiefs beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh. They haven't played a ton of times there in recent years, but the Steelers are a team that can go in there and take care of the Chiefs if they're sufficiently motivated, and they seem to be. Trying to get past the bickering, the pettiness, etc. And I think we're going to see a Steelers team that is as motivated as they've been all year and will execute better than they have all year. I think they've focused, they've hunkered down, Whatever the problem last week, whether it's game planning, execution, whatever, I think Mike Tomlin making sure everyone's on the same page because this is an opportunity to get everyone to shut the hell up about last week. Even though they've created this mess, this is a way for everyone to get off the Steelers' back by the Steelers showing up and playing well and getting it done. Jaguars-Rams is a sneaky great game. I'd recommend listening to it on the radio, because it's going to look bad. The Jaguars and that hideous two-tone helmet. Pick a color to your helmet, for crying out loud. And the Rams, you know, they wanted to go Roman Gabriel white horns on the blue helmet. That's fine, but the problem is they've yet to change their jersey. They want to wait until they at least initially move into their new stadium. Now that that's moved back a year, they don't know what they're going to do. But it looks bad when they're wearing the blue jersey with the gold numbers, with the blue helmet, with the white horns. They did that in Dallas a couple of weeks ago. Someone suggested on Twitter it looks like a high school team that had its gear stolen and has borrowed mismatched things from another school. And the problem is the more you see it, you're going to get used to it. You're going to get numb to it. Kind of like how you got numb to that hideous two-tone helmet. So listen to this one on the radio. And it could be a good one, a pair of three and two teams. Jaguars trying to break that streak of good win, ugly loss, good win, ugly loss. This is the week where they should lose. And I think the Rams will take away Leonard Fournette and force Blake Bortles to try to beat the Rams. And I don't think Blake Bortles can do it. And it's an even week. This is the week they're supposed to lose. They lack the maturity to get to the point where they are good enough to get back-to-back wins, at least for now. Can the Rams overcome last week's loss, a game they should have won, and get to 4-2? and I just think the Rams are a little bit bit more capable to overcome than the Jaguars are to build on what they did last week. 
I got to say something about the Sunday night game. I'm not contractually required, but it is the NBC game. And I don't know why they didn't flex this. And this is just me talking. This is not NBC. I haven't heard anything from anyone at NBC about this. But why in the world didn't they flex out of that game? Now, on the surface, I know what the answer would be. Hey, it's the New York market. You don't want to give up a game involving the New York market. Because when it's the New York market, you're automatically going to have a good number. I don't know. How good of a number are you going to have? Have Giant fans checked out? If I was, I would have checked out by now. Odell Beckham Jr. is gone. Brandon Marshall is gone. All hope is gone. And you're taking on a Broncos team. I mean, they could go with 9 or 10 defensive players to make it interesting. And Ben McAdoo complaining that no one gives him a chance to win. Nobody's giving us a chance in hell to go win this game. Well, you know why? Because you've stunk. This isn't disrespect. This is proper respect based upon the past performance of the team. The team hasn't been good. People don't think we can score without 13. Yeah, because you haven't been able to score without 13. You haven't been able to score with 13. We're going to find out what we're made of on a big stage, and I think we have a good football team. Yeah, just stop it. Stop it! He also thinks he has a good haircut. Just come on. And look, one of the Sunday splash reports last week is the Giants aren't going to fire Ben McAdoo. And it wouldn't be consistent with their history to fire Ben McAdoo. But I think there is a number of losses out there between 12 and 16. And let me be specific. If the Giants go 3 and 13, 2 and 14, 1 and 15, or 0 and 16, I think there's a chance that Ben McAdoo gets fired. I think there's a chance that ownership decides we cannot continue. So right now, 0 and 5. At Denver, 0 and 6. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this exercise in the light most favorable to the Giants in light of what they currently have on the roster. At Denver, loss, 0-6. Seattle at home next Sunday, loss, 0-7. Bye week. Visit from the Rams. All right, I'll be charitable here. I'll give them that one, 1-7. At San Francisco, all right, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm in a good mood, despite it being Friday the 13th. I'll give them that one, too, 2-7. Kansas City, loss, 2-8. At Washington, short week, loss, 2-9. At Oakland, Lost two and ten. Cowboys come to town. Lost two and eleven. Philadelphia, lost two and twelve. At Arizona, all right. Good mood. Still active. Christmas Eve. Charitable. Win three and twelve. Washington, end the season. Lost three and thirteen. What do you do? What do you do if you go three and thirteen? What do you do with Eli Manning if you go three and thirteen and you have a top five pick? Eli says he wants to stay, but I, he gets it. He understands. We talked about this on PFT Live earlier today. If the Giants approach Eli Manning and say, we want you to take less money in 2018, what does he say? My first thought was he says, go to hell. I think the more appropriate answer would be, let me check on this before I tell you to go to hell. Let me have my agent make some phone calls and engage in what is tampering, not from his perspective, but the team's perspective. It's called gauging the market. See, before you tell a team to take their reduced offer and stick it sideways where the sun doesn't shine, you want to see what other offers would be out there. Hypothetically, Jacksonville Jaguars, hypothetically, Cleveland Browns, hypothetically, 
whichever team needs a quarterback. How much would you pay if a two-time Super Bowl MVP whose brother is a first ballot Hall of Famer were suddenly available to you? So I, I just feel like the way this thing is going, the way this thing is is progressing, trending for the Giants is not good. And can they turn it around? Sure. Do we believe? Do you really believe? Ask yourself this. Based upon everything you've seen and heard from Ben McAdoo, from the giant David Byrne stop-making-sense suit that he wore to his introductory press conference, to the fact that every day, and, and I'm, I'm sensitive to this, because it's low class to make fun of someone's appearance, but I think it's appropriate to comment on the voluntary, optional aspects of someone's appearance. If you want to have a crazy hairdo, that's on you. I'm not going to make fun of you if you're bald, but I'm going to make fun of you if you choose to do something stupid with your hair. And every day, every day, think about this, every single day of his life, Ben McAdoo gets out of bed and chooses to dip that comb in Brill Cream and do that thing that he does with his hair. And it, it, we all need someone, we all need that, you're wearing that, conscience. Wait, you're, where are you going? You're, wait, you're wearing that shirt? You're, you, no, you, you're not, no. No, no. You're not, you need someone like that. I got someone like that. It still doesn't completely save me. Typically, it's our spouse. Spouse, fiance, significant other. Someone who will say, don't do that. McAdoo needs someone who tells him, don't do that. McAdoo needs someone every day when that comb is dripping with burl cream to say, do not, do not do that. And, and you have to wonder. I don't want to be petty here, but people are petty. How much... Respect did he lose in the locker room when he showed up in the giant suit? How much respect does he lose in the locker room when he shows up with the Brill Cream look every day? You're talking about young guys, 22 to 30 primarily. What do they think? And when the team's not good, when you've got Dominique Rogers Cromartie openly disrespecting you, leaving the team three times in a week, I just I don't see this working for the Giants. And if it goes three and thirteen. 2-14, and 1-15, 0-16, I think there's a chance that there could be a significant change. Not a, not a report, not a prediction, just uh, let's keep our eye on this one. All right, oh, and by the way, wow, the 49ers have released uh, Navarro Bowman. That's brand new. There'd been some talk that he was on the trade market, trade block. There's been some... There's been some discussion that he may not be a guy who's in the cards long-term in San Francisco. And you know what? It's happening before the trade deadline, so he can go wherever he wants next. Someone's going to bring in a veteran inside linebacker who is going to make a difference. So, I just happened to see this. The 49ers have announced that Navarro Bowman is released and is available. The 49ers this weekend play in Washington, and on the surface, it's another 0-5 team going on the road. But but consider this. You've got Washington coming off of a bye. And 
you've got Washington thinking that maybe this is a second straight buy. Maybe this is a game where they just show up and win because the 49ers are 0-5 and they stink. I think there's a danger to that. I think if if I'm coming off a bye, I want to play a good team. Because if I'm the coach of the team, it's a hell of a lot easier for me to get the team focused if the opponent is a division rival or a great team, the Packers or someone like that, the Chiefs. But in come the 49ers, limping at 0-5. Very easy for Washington to just expect to show up and win. And that could be dangerous, especially because Kyle Shanahan has a stick turned sideways, stuck in a place sticks don't normally go about Washington, about the way things went with owner Daniel Snyder. He'd love nothing more than to go in there and beat Washington and make that the first win of his career, guaranteed. So I'm I'm interested in what happens with that game. Not because I think the 49ers are going to turn it around, and I'm still hoping that they get to 5-11. and Because if it's 5-11 and or worse for the 49ers, stats has to do the Ben McAdoo hairdo on air. But, boy, an interesting day if the 49ers can find a way to end their, their winless streak. And they were 2-14 and 14 last year and now 0-5 this year. Another 0-5 team. Since we're talking about winless teams, the Browns at the Texans. The Browns got to see on Thursday night what Carson Wentz can do. They passed on him last year. They get to see up close on Sunday what Deshaun Watson can do. They passed on him this year. I think they got to win a game this week, next week versus the Titans, the following week at London against the Vikings. They got to win one of these three games to keep owner Jimmy Haslam from doing something. And I don't know what that something is because we've seen a team lose in London to cap a disastrous first half of the season or less than the full first half, have their Coach fired. That happened with the Raiders. It happened with the Dolphins. We've seen, after a loss in London, the Lions fire their GM. It's going to be one or the other. And you know what may help Hugh Jackson? I don't know who the interim head coach would be. Do you make Greg Williams your interim head coach? I don't. I The bounty scandal pariah? Do you really make him your interim head coach? I, I hate to say it. Unless Hugh Jackson had final say over not taking Deshaun Watson and not taking Carson Wentz, I think whoever ultimately was responsible for saying, no thanks, we don't want Carson Wentz, and no thanks, we don't want Deshaun Watson, I think that's the person that needs to go, even though that person may ultimately be ownership. Whoever can be blamed one step below ownership for making that recommendation or failing to protect ownership from itself. Ownership wanted Johnny Manziel, and whoever was there failed to protect ownership from itself, and now ownership didn't want Wentz, didn't want Watson. There's this obsession with flipping picks and stockpiling picks, and the best is yet to come, and we've got all these extra picks, and picks, 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 picks. At some point, you got to use them. At some point, you got to get a franchise quarterback, and the Browns have whiffed in consecutive years on franchise quarterbacks, and I'm sorry... It's results-driven business. Somebody's got to pay for that with their job. That's the way the business works. And if you don't do it like that, if you don't have that level of accountability, you're never going to break the cycle of crap that the Browns currently have. Vikings-Packers, how have I overlooked that one? I got caught in this rut of 0-5 teams. I've talked about three straight games with 0-5 teams. 
The Vikings don't have Sam Bradford this weekend. The Vikings don't have Stephon Diggs this weekend. They don't have Dalvin Cook for the rest of the year. Think about that. Their three top weapons on offense coming into the season will not be available for week six against the Packers. Instead, Case Keenum throwing. Jarek McKinnon and Latavius Murray running and catching out of the backfield. Adam Thiel on the top receiving target. I'm intrigued by what Michael Floyd can do. He had a nice catch Monday night against the Bears. Can he help pick up some of the slack? And Monday is the first day that Teddy Bridgewater can return. How about that? Could Teddy Bridgewater come back and take this team over at some point? I think they just have to give up on Sam Bradford. I'm not saying put him on IR, but just don't expect him. Don't play that week in and week out. Will he play? Won't he play? We saw what he did Monday night. It was bad. I'd want him to be 110%. I know it's physically impossible, but I'd want to be damn sure this guy can come back and play and protect himself before I'd ever put him back out on the field. Because what happened was they trusted that he was ready to go last week, and he wasn't. And at some point, that's on him. It's also on the team for not recognizing human nature, but now they have to set aside the fascination with what he did week one, the desire to get value for what they're paying him, his desire to play and position himself for a new contract next year from the Vikings or someone else. All that's got to be set aside and they got to be damn sure this guy can protect himself. This guy can, can look down the field instead of looking down around his knees as to where that next hit's going to be that renders him incapacitated. Cannot imagine the Vikings winning this game, which probably means they'll win it. But the Packers come in with Aaron Rodgers, and that's all you really need. The first of what they hope is two games at U.S. Bank Stadium this year because the Super Bowl will be played in Minneapolis, and I'm sure that there are Vikings fans who would like to forfeit hosting the game if it turns out that the Packers make it to the game. That won't be good. The only thing worse than the Packers playing in the Super Bowl at U.S. Bank Stadium is the Packers winning the Super Bowl at U.S. Bank Stadium. The Falcons should have won the Super Bowl last year, up 28-3 to late in the third quarter, if you haven't heard. And my official pick for the game is for the Falcons to win. Falcons have the bye week. Dolphins are sputtering. But, you know, last year when the Dolphins were 1-4, we were ready to write them off as they hosted Pittsburgh. No way that the Dolphins are going to beat Pittsburgh. They're 1-4. They stink. They're horrible. And what did they do? 30-15 win over Pittsburgh. The first of a six-game winning streak. Ultimately won 9 out of 10. I'm not saying that a streak like that is coming. But I think we have overstated the struggles of the Dolphins. They've been through a lot. But I think we, we, we're not giving them the benefit of the doubt here in light of what they were able to do last year, in light of the fact that Adam Gase knows a thing or two about fixing what's wrong with an offense. I mean, we assume Bill Belichick's going to fix the Patriots. He did last week against the Buccaneers. We assume that Pete Carroll's going to fix the Seahawks. He did last week against the Rams. Let's assume Adam Gase is going to fix the Dolphins at some point. It may not be this weekend. Now, I don't know what the line is. I don't pay any attention to that. I have a feeling that the Falcons are at close to or maybe slightly beyond double-digit favorites. I, I think I kind of like the the Dolphins to cover and maybe flat-out win. Maybe I've talked myself into it. Maybe I'm trying to have it both ways. So what? My official pick is Falcons. My unofficial pick is I don't feel so good about my official pick. And this could be an interesting game. Tampa Bay, Arizona could be interesting. If Adrian Peterson 
can make an impact right away. I don't know that he can right away, not because of his age. I'm not writing him off. I just think you bring a guy to town on a Wednesday, kind of hard to expect that he's going to write. That's a that's a crazy upside-down week. You get traded from the Saints to the Cardinals on a Tuesday. That is a crazy-ass upside-down week, and I think it's a lot to expect Adrian Peterson to come in and make a contribution. Meanwhile, Chris Johnson's out, and the Buccaneers had extra time to rest. The Buccaneers better than I think we give them credit for. Cardinals, we still view them as that team that was on the cusp of real contention. They're now two years removed from it. I just don't think they're very good. And Adrian Peterson may make a difference after this week. This week, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. If he comes out and has 100 yards rushing this week, then we all got to shut up about Adrian Peterson. And I think the best is yet to come. You know, don't write him off because he didn't do much with the Saints because they didn't give him a chance to do much. Let's see what he does with Arizona. But it's a lot to expect him to do anything this week. Speaking of the Saints, they host the Lions. The Lions not long ago were saying, hey, they should be 4-0. and Now they're 3-2. and they're in danger of going to 3-3 three and three because the Saints, they're not quite as Jekyll and Hyde as the Jaguars because the Jaguars are win one, lose one, win one, lose one. The Saints look bad the first two weeks. They look great the second two weeks. They shut out the Dolphins. Of all the teams in the NFL to pitch a shutout, the Saints, are you freaking kidding me? And now they had a week off, and now they've exercised the demons that flowed from this presence of Adrian Peterson where he's not happy. And look, Everybody knew he wasn't happy. Everybody knew that this was just something that was hovering for the Saints. Now it's gone, regardless of who's to blame. And ultimately, I think that it comes down to having free agency before the draft. Sean Payton, the coach of the Saints, addressed that this week. Mike Glennon's signing in Chicago, a factor, a reality, a product of free agency before the draft. The draft should be before free agency. If the draft came before free agency, Mike Glenn wouldn't have been signed by the Bears. Adrian Peterson wouldn't have been signed by the Saints. And I know people say, oh, the NFLPA will never go for that because that will rob the players of their windfall. Bull crap. You got seven draft picks. After you use your picks, you're still going to have needs. Your needs are going to be more glaring. As it stands now, well, we'd like to offer you that money, but I'll tell you what, if you want more than that, we'll just address this need in the draft. I mean, you can tell any player that you're negotiating with in free agency, well, if you don't come here, we'll address the need in the draft. Once you've played that card in the draft, it's all pretty crystallized. It's all pretty clear at that point. So I'm digressing if you haven't already noticed. I think it's good for the Saints that they did the deal. It's going to help the Saints. Meanwhile, Matthew Stafford has an ankle problem, maybe a hamstring problem. The Lions maybe not as great as they we thought they were. And I think the Saints, after that 0-2 start, they're going to complicate things in the NFC South where you've got the Panthers at 4-2, and the Falcons at 3-1, and the Saints at 2-2, two and, two, and the Bucks at 2-2, two and two, and that is still a wide-open division. All the more reason for the Panthers to be upset with themselves for blowing a chance to win on Thursday night at home against the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think that's all I want to talk about today. I think I've touched on most of the games. Oh, oh, one more. A game that we thought was completely meaningless and worthless. A game involving two teams, one of whom we thought would be 5-0 and and the other we thought would be 0-5. Instead, they have the exact same record, the Jets and the Patriots. How did I overlook that one? The Spygate rematch game 10 years later. The first time they get together 10 years since Spygate in New York. And Bill Belichick, 
He made Josh McCown sound like Joe Namath, and he's made the Jets sound like the rest of the 68 Jets. The Jets praised by Belichick for their competitiveness. A great quote in there about how hard they worked when there was a loose ball in their game against the Dolphins with, with an implicit slap at the Dolphins. I mean, his point was the ball was out there and no one knew whether it was live or not. And there were four Dolphins chasing it. And there was no four Jets chasing it and one Dolphin chasing it. And, and it, it was te- a testament to the, the Jets, but it was a little bit of a slap at the Dolphins. But a lot of praise from Bill Belichick for the Jets. I Look, I think it's hard for us to get behind the idea that the Jets can actually beat the Patriots because it's not that far removed from when we thought the Jets would be 5-0 and and the, or the, I'm sorry, the Patriots would be 5-0 and and the Jets would be on 5. But, but still, this game has potential. We'll see. We'll, we'll see if, if Bill Belichick's assessment of the Jets was accurate or not come Sunday at 1 o'clock. Come Monday at, I don't know, 4 o'clock, about the same time when I get back from Connecticut after the NBC duty, we'll, we'll look back on the week that was, five-down territory coming up on Monday. And throughout the weekend, profootballtalk.com, all of the latest updates, news, analysis, takes, videos, and Sundays are very, very busy days for the NFL, obviously, and very busy days for us. The perfect companion to watching the games. We appreciate your loyalty, we appreciate your time, we appreciate you, and we appreciate that a weekend of football is coming. Enjoy the games, and we'll do this again on Monday.